Well, good evening, friends. If you have your Bibles, uh, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now, there will be passages and scripture verses that will be up on the screens, but here's what I would encourage you to do. If you do have a Bible, um, go to that. Like, I want you to start getting used to, um, instead of just flipping through an app, like, actually know how to get around in the Bible. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you don't have one, hopefully they'll be, not hopefully, they'll be up there on the screen. Uh, My name is Brian, and I get to be here with you this weekend. Friends, Hume is a special place for me because when I was 17, in that third row right there where the pew angles right there where you're sitting, is where I stood up to make my only decision for Jesus. And I still remember it, so now I'm 27. I'm, I'm just joking. Every time people laugh at that, it hurts, and so shut up. So, uh, (laughs) I'm totally kidding. No, I mean, I'm a little bit older than that, but I still remember it. Like, every time I get an invite to come and speak and to teach God's Word, I'm always humbled because I remember that there were two men, and we had two guys that were teaching when I came as a high schooler, one in the morning, one in the evening, and they impacted my life that God used them to tell me about Jesus. See, I'd grown up in a Christian home. I'd done Christian school my whole life. I was part of a youth group for a couple years already. Can, anybody, can anyone here relate with that so far? Been caught up in a Christian home. How, have you been, how many of you have gone to church pretty much your whole life? Right? So you took, a, like your first time you took communion was in the womb. Remember that? You're like, oh, that was good stuff. And you're kicking your mom in the bladder. Like, give me more of that. But you've done the church thing, right? You've heard, them, you've heard the messages. You know the Bible. It's like, so all of a sudden somebody starts, tries to teach you. It's like, I've already heard that. Guys, there was a point in high school when I was at my Christian high school where the, Bi- the Bible was a textbook and Jesus was a subject to study. And my fear is that for some of you that you've kind of been, you kind of got used to him. And maybe this is where you are right now. And I want to challenge those of you who are at that place. I want to challenge you, give God a weekend. Just give him four times together. Just in our chapel sessions, yes, but... In your, in your small groups, when you're talking with each other and you're talking with your youth pastors and your youth workers, give God a weekend. That's all I'm asking. Maybe for some of you, you just love Jesus like crazy. Like you've already made a decision for Jesus and you've just been walking with him and it's getting better and better and better and tighter. And I want to challenge you with the same thing because there's never a point where you've come in this relationship with God where it's enough. Like it's just, hey, I've, I've reached it. Jesus wants to take you deeper. Don't just settle for what you're used to or where you are now. Always desire more of him because he wants to give you more of him. So I want to challenge you with that. Give him a weekend and see what it is he did. And friends, understand this. This is for students, youth workers, youth pastors, Hume staff. We're all in this together. That it's not just, hey, I'm preaching to just a few. Friends, this is also me. So when I'm done and I'm just sitting there in my room and I just God, is this what you wanted to say? And God, am I living this? Is there anything that you need to convict me on? Guys, I will be the first one to tell you that I have not arrived. That at no point have I come to this place in Jesus where I go, I got it all figured out. Friends, I used to think that person that would speak up front, man, they just had like the bat line to Jesus. Like they had that special red phone you just talk to whenever you want. And that they never struggled with sin. They never dealt with temptation. Friend, I'll be the first one to tell you. Friends, I will continue to deal with temptation because I'm human. But friends, we can overcome because of Jesus. Maybe there's some of you that you're here and you don't want God. And you have your reasons. For some, it just doesn't make sense to you. Others, 
You're still angry with him because he didn't come through like he was supposed to. By a show of hands, can we be honest tonight? How many of you have ever prayed something and you were told that God can do the miraculous and so you prayed and you prayed with as much faith that you could muster up and God still let them die and God didn't heal and doesn't that impact you? And you begin to wonder, God, why is it you'll do this for some but not for others? Friends, there's nothing wrong with those questions so long as you continue to move toward the one who has the answers rather than using those questions as a reason not to seek after the Lord. For some of you, you're using the excuses because you're bitter and angry against God, but you're never even dealing with going to the one who actually might give you the answer. Friends, that's not commendable, that's lazy. And so I want to challenge those of you who are at that place, will you give God a weekend? A weekend. And you may say, I don't think he's going to do anything. Oh, friends, I have this line, impossible is God's playground. Impossible is God's playground. For those that sit there go, it'll never happen. That's impossible. God sit there going, challenge accepted. Man, I'll take that challenge. How do I know? Because there's a, friends, there's a tomb that's empty that Jesus was put into when he died and he came back from the dead. How do I know that God does the impossible? Because he knows how to resurrect dead things and make them alive again. And so, friends, I want to encourage wherever you are in the spectrum, or if I didn't even mention where you are, I just want to challenge you guys, give God a weekend. Be intentional. Ask the tough questions, but go to him instead of making excuses so that you can continue to just go to you. Can we pray as we jump in? Let's pray together. Father, I don't want to say anything that's not of you. Father, I pray that you would lead us in this time, that Holy Spirit, you would teach us, that you would instruct us, you would encourage us, that you would convict us, whatever is necessary to bring us deeper into intimacy with the Son of God. And so would you have your way? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are a healer, that you are a helper. Father, I thank you that you are good and that you are great. And Jesus, we thank you that you came for us that you're Savior and Lord, and I pray, God, would you do something in our times together that leave us amazed? Would you cause our jaws to drop because of the miraculous that you do? God, I pray you keep my opinion and my agenda to myself. I pray that only you'd be the one that we listen to, the only one that we hear. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Friends, as we get into Ecclesiastes, you pretty much get to read the journal of one of the wisest and most richest people ever, most powerful man to ever walk the planet. It's just his journal. Guys, how many, does anybody hear journal? On a regular basis, you like, keep a diary or journal? Yeah. Has anyone ever had, <laughs> had someone read your journal and they didn't tell you? They didn't ask permission. You said, they're going, oh, yeah. And they died. No, I'm just joking. They just, but that, doesn't it feel like, like they just invaded your, they invaded, they invaded your privacy. Here comes, here comes Solomon and he writes this journal, and millions of people have been able to read his thoughts. And notice how it is that he starts here in verse 1. The words of, of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Isn't that encouraging? Welcome to camp. Everything's a waste. Everything's meaningless. It's pointless. And yet I, would, I want to ask you a question. And then you don't have to answer. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. I wonder how many of you feel this way, but you just aren't willing to be honest about it. 
You might be asking it this way, well, what's the point of it all? Like, what's the point of life? I mean, what's the meaning? It's like, where do we get the idea of purpose or meaning or value? Where do we get that? But what's the whole purpose? Or maybe for some of you, you sit there and go, I feel meaningless. I feel pointless. Friends, that Hebrew word for vanity is actually the word that we use for, well, there's a couple. One is this idea of idolatry that, that lacks anything of value. But the other one is this. It's, it's a breath. It's a vapor. It's a mist. It's here one moment and gone the next. Has anyone ever walked around in a cemetery? When you ever go to a funeral, walk around in a cemetery, has anyone ever done the math? When you're looking at the tombstones, you see the day they were born, and the day they died. Does anyone ever do that? I just kind of go, sometimes, and it's, it's not some weird thing. I'm just going along and I'll go, wow, they, they had a longer life. And I'll go to one, I sit there and go, he was only three. And it's humbling. We notice the day it starts. We notice the day that their life ends. But do we notice the dash? Because you realize that the dash is their life. Every single thing that they thought, everything that they did, every victory, every valley, every mountaintop experience is supposed to be summed up in a dash. And we sit there and go, there's more to life than that. But here comes the scripture going, not much. Compared to eternity, it's like a vapor. Your life, it's like that. It's here one day, gone the next. Compared to an eternal God, it's quick, it's over, and yet how much of our time is spent trying to convey who we really are. Guys, there is such an onslaught against you of so many voices telling you this is what you should do. This is what you should think. This is, this is how you should be. There's so many things that are out there trying to take your attention. Have you ever gotten into any of those short videos on your phone, and then about two and a half days later, you realize, oh my gosh, I just wasted two days? Isn't it amazing how it just goes? And isn't it amazing you'll watch one video, the next one is exactly what you wanted to see. Why? Because there's a whole lot of really smart people putting together these algorithms to make sure that what you're watching is really what you want to watch. And they'll keep sucking your attention. And then we'll have people that are telling us, hey, how many followers does this person have compared to this person? Followers of Jesus, shouldn't we be more interested in who follows Jesus instead of who follows us? And how many are looking at lives of people who are, who are posting social media and you compare your life with the fake one that they post and you don't measure up to the fake one, but the problem is neither did they. They don't measure up to the fake life. And so we compare ourselves with all these facades. Meaningless, pointless. I wanna ask you, what are you filling the dash with? Is it worth it? Friends, I used to have all those social media. I did. Because everyone else had it. You just do it. And then I, then, I, then I blanketed in the idea of ministry. It's like, oh, I'm a pastor and I can get the word out. I can get the word out quicker or more often. And so I did. I, I, did, I never really understood Twitter. I guess now it's called X. Well, that, that's a heck of a name. You go from Twitter to a bird to X, so I don't understand it. Then you get Facebook, but that's not really there anymore. Instagram, you still can't do that. It's not all that stuff. And I remember there was this one moment I was spending time with the Lord by myself, just a quiet time, and this thought popped in my head as I read the end of Romans chapter 2, and it was something like this. Stop taking advantage of my people for your quick fix of pleasure. 
Why? Because I needed the double tap so that people would like what it is that I posted. Because if I could reach it to 100 likes, then I knew that I was validated as a pastor and as a human. And so I would post things, and I would do it in the name of ministry as a pastor. It's like, oh, I'm speaking here, and I would take the picture from the back of the room, because I won't do it from the front, do it from the back of the room. But I would do it at an angle that looked like there were 7,000 people there. And there were 21. And I would say something like, humbled to be here. Oh, I pray that God would use me. And you get all these likes and people responding and commenting. And I'm telling you in the moment, I'm saying, hey, God's doing a great work. Or look, I want God to use me and God to use this. And yet Jesus says this, do not let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. But then, pastors, sometimes won't we justify why it is that we're allowed to do it in the name of ministry? That I can let everyone else know, just not my right hand, let my... My right hand knowing what my left hand's doing. I remember when that thought popped in my head. I ran into my wife and I said, I'm quitting. I'm quitting social media. She's like, she doesn't have any of it. And I'm like, she's like, okay, go away. And so I go running away. And I, and I got rid of it, all of it. And I'm still alive. In fact, I'm free. And for some of you, you're not. And all you do is look at the pictures and watch the videos, and you continue to ask the question, but what's the point of it? I'm not like that. Your dash is being filled with just your thumbs scrolling constantly. What's the point of it all? Life is a vapor. It's a mist. James says it in chapter 4, verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Solomon continues in his journal he says in verse 3, what does, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Hold on to that one for just a second. We can watch all these things, see all these things, and yet we're not totally fulfilled. We can listen to all these things, and yet we're not totally fulfilled. Friends, we can surround ourselves with tons of people and say, hey, my friends are what bring me fulfillment, but is it really happening? Because aren't we just sitting there going, there's got to be more to it than this. Verse 9, what, is, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is, a, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. In other words, he's saying this, life just feels like I'm going in circles. The wind blows in this direction, it goes up to the north, and it just continues. Seasons come and seasons go. All these things just keep going. Generation comes, generations go, and the earth is here forever. It's the same old thing. It's get up, do the exact same thing that I did yesterday, and go to bed. And you just repeat and repeat and repeat. And at some point, you've got to sit there and go, is this all that it is? This is really it? Continues on in verse 12. 
He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart. That phrase, applied my heart, in the Hebrew means he denoted, he denoted everything. He, he took everything that he was, all his heart, soul, mind, strength, and he's like, I tried to figure out with my own heart all these things, and he goes on, to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Guys, you ever just chased wind? If you have, you need a life. <laughs> like, wind just picks, I got you, and you take off after it? Guys, there's a, I was thinking when we were singing, I was like, God, what are, what, like, what are some concepts that might kind of fit with this, but it's not quite. This was not quite, because at least there's something that's actually there. Has anybody ever, in the, like at, at night, in the dark, have you ever walked through a spider web? Aww. Who's done that? And how many in that moment, you don't just sit in there and go, I love it. I love how that feels. I love the fact that I feel something crawling onto my esophagus to kill me. Like, it's like, I'm so calm. Guys, doesn't it, don't we just flip out? Or how about this? You ever been walking along and you just randomly tripped over nothing? There was nothing in the road. You're just walking along and all of a sudden you kind of go, and what do you do? (laughs) we, We all do this. We sit there and go, what the? And you keep going. Or you do the jog. You trip and you go, that's what I meant to do. I just wanted to start running. <laughs> Guys, at least those kind of make sense. But chasing after wind, that's stupid. <laughs> and here's Solomon going, all these things I tried to understand under the sun, it's, a, it's, mean, it's like chasing wind. Verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, he's thinking, it's his his ability to reason. I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. Aren't you glad you came to camp? It's like you're just sitting going, so it's all pointless. Friends, it makes no sense. Life makes absolutely no sense if there's no creator of it. Friends, for those of us that just don't believe in God, I would love to hear your reasons. Say, well, I can't see him. Is that really the only thing that there is? Like, I, you can't see my brain. I can't see your brain, but I'm trusting that it's there. I can't see gravity, but it's something's keeping me down. Guys, I, there's a whole lot of things I can't see, and yet I believe in them. Guys, life without God, think of this. How do I put this? Friends, we're told we're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to stand up and protect those who are oppressed. True? But friends, do you understand that within Darwinian evolution... It's survival of the fittest. 
that the weakest are supposed to die while the strong continue. Friends, that's what, that's what life without God produces. You sit there and go, I don't, I don't agree with that. I believe that we're supposed to treat everyone with respect. But do you know where you get that? Here's where we get that. Friends, the, the scriptures teach us this. God created everything. And on that last day of creation, he created human beings. He created them male and female. He created them in his own image. Because we are created in the image of God, we have what's called intrinsic value. Because of our creator, not because of us, but because of our creator. Because of our creator, we then, we therefore are supposed to take care of, show value, respect, care about every single person on the planet because of their creator. And you take the creator out of the equation, there's no purpose or meaning or reason that we should actually be caring for each other. Friends, it all comes back to God. And so we have this idea in Ecclesiastes where Solomon's going, I don't get it, what's the point? Friends, I want to point you to the one who's the point. In Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 11, just a couple verses starting in verse 28. Three, the, three, the first three words are this, come to me. Friends, I don't want to push you toward another ideology. I don't want to push you toward a philosophy. I don't even want to push you toward a religion. I don't want to push you toward Christianity. You're like, oh, heretic. I want to push you toward Christ. Because Christianity void of Christ, or Christianity void of Christ is pointless. Jesus invites us, come to me. Jesus' invitation. I remember when I said there, come to me. And even every single day, it's still the invitation, come to me. But for, for us to actually do what it is that Jesus says, we have to have an understanding of who he is. So in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, Paul writes this about Jesus. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word firstborn is also translated as the preexistent one. It also is translated as completely unique in essence. No one and nothing is like him. That he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Friends, I got up here on Wednesday because I wanted to beat the storm. And there was no snow. Like I said, I go, why did I get up here so early? And then yesterday, it just started snowing, and by the time you get here, it's like, what the? It's a winter wonderland. Friends, do you realize that every single snowflake is unique? Not one snowflake ever looks like another one, and God is the creator of it. Do you realize that God stores lightning in a warehouse? That God is the one who causes the lightning and the thunder to happen? Do you realize that God is the one who created the clouds and the snow that falls and the rain that falls? Do you realize that God spoke everything into existence? He's the one who created every mountain, every valley. He's the one who, he, he's the one who created and filled every ocean, every lake, every stream, every river, every creek. Guys, he's the one who made sure that every plant grew, every tree grew. Guys, every particle of dirt and dust is exactly where Jesus wants it to be. He is the creator. 
And for us to pull back and go, nah, he didn't do it the way that I thought he would. What I would do if I were God, and in that moment, I want to, I want to caution you to stop saying that. You can't even keep your room clean and you're going to tell God how to be God? Friends, the Bible says that out of the breath of God came all the starry hosts. That means when Jesus exhaled, the sun popped out. Friends, that thing, you can fit 1.3 million earths inside of it. That's how big that thing is. That's huge. And, and Jesus just went, Pah. Friends, he spoke or breathed out the hundreds of billions of stars that make up our little galaxy. And he's the one who breathed out every single galaxy, the hundreds of billions of galaxies, all of them, with hundreds of billions of stars in each of them. And he knows each star by name. And he's the one who places it in the sky exactly where he wants it. Friends, he's the one who said, let there be. And it began. He's the one who said, let there be light, and it exploded out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per second. Friends, he's the one who created the earth, and this earth hangs on nothing according to the scriptures. And this earth spins at 1,000 miles an hour while it goes around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour, and while that's happening, we're going around the nucleus of the Milky Way galaxy at 540,000 miles an hour. The Bible says that it's Jesus who holds all things together. Friends, the only reason that we don't go flying off into the universe is because of him. Isn't it amazing? We actually think we're in control of something. We're just hoping we don't crash. This is the same God who created hundreds of different types of bananas and dozens of different types of tomatoes. He said, why make dozens of different types of tomatoes? Because he can. He's the one who created sunsets and sunrises. Because aren't there times you'll look at a sunrise or a sunset and go, dang. And Jesus is like, I know. Wait till tomorrow. And friends, he's not safe. But he's good. How do I know? Friends, he made that cute little squirrel and the hawk that eats it. <laughs> I don't like that. Well, create a universe, but until then, worship him. And then he created you. You have 30 trillion cells in your body, each of them carrying a six-foot strand of DNA that is the blueprint of who you are. Two million, two, two million characters of you multiplied by 30 trillion. Friends, if I took all the DNA out of my body and tied it end to end, it would go from here to the moon and back 178,000 times. And so when God says in his word, you are fearfully and wonderfully made how often do we look at the sunrises and sunsets, mountain peaks? We look at these oceans that are vast and go, man, God, creator, amazing. But we pass by the mirror 
that God is sitting there going, you're fearfully and wonderfully made friends. You are a walking miracle created by God in his image. And when we grasp that, we also grasp this, that with that comes value, purpose, meaning, life. I got to got to land the plane. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are, I'm sorry, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Friends, that word labor, I looked it up. It means to lose heart. You're emotionally fatigued or discouraged by a show of hands. Does that, does that, uh, does that describe anyone in the room? Put them way up. Not halfway Baptist, like charismatic tonight. Yeah. All of you who are, all who labor and are heavy laden, that phrase heavy laden means to be burdened, to be loaded down. Does anybody feel burdened and loaded down? Jesus' word to you is this, come to him. Not just a belief system. Not just doctrinal statements, and I believe all the, I believe they're so necessary but the invitation is personal from the one who breathed out every star. Just come to him. He says, come to me all who labor and are overburdened and I will give you rest. That word rest means relief. It's a stopover. It means to become physically refreshed. Friends, there is so much pressure on you to perform. And I think Jesus is inviting you to simply be. Come to him and be. Take my yoke. I'm sorry. Here's the promise. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find, here's the word again, and you'll find rest for your souls. You'll find relief for your souls. Friends, when we look, bless you, when you, when you see Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and you look at a man who's had everything, everything, and he's sitting there going, it's pointless. It is. Unless you have the one who created life and gave it to you. Why would I accept the call that Jesus gives? Why would I come to him so often? Friends, this isn't just, oh, every once in a while. This is daily. Come to him. Why would I do it? Because he's worth it. When you understand the value of the one who has invited you to come to him, you will drop everything to be with him. Friends, he's worth it. We got to get out of this mentality and, and, and know that it's part of the message. But Christ, the purpose of Christ is not so that we would have a comfortable, easy life. Jesus is about his glory. And we're invited to come to him. So let me ask you a question. Do you want him or do you just want his stuff? Do you want him or do you want his stuff? The crowd just wants his stuff. The disciple wants him no matter what it takes. You'll give up everything to go after him. So it's all a waste. Our lives are mists unless we're connected to the one who gave us life in the first place. And I'll close with this. I remember I was here years ago, 
It was the night, it was the, well, night, I think it was nighttime. Um, I invite students to surrender to Jesus. And usually afterwards, I just run to the back and I sit in the back corner and just kind of watch what's happening. After I'm done, I just go back there because I don't think anybody needs to come up and talk to me afterwards because I don't go home with you. And I'm not, I'm not the man. There's one Jesus and I'm not it. I'm not Jesus Jr. There's nothing special about me. Just, I'm just along for the ride and I get to preach his word, thankfully. So I remember I finished and I came down and this young man caught me before I could get back there. He goes, Brian, can I ask you a question? He's all teary. He's like a 15-year-old kid. I was like, sure. So I sat down right here. And it wasn't really a question, but he says this statement. He goes, Brian, I don't feel worthy. I just explained everything that Jesus endured on the cross. And I'm glad that that was his response. He goes, I don't, I just don't feel worthy. And I looked at him. I paused for a second. I looked at him. I said, you're not. And the look on his face was like I had just demolished everything his mama had already told him. You are worth, you are worth it. You are so important. You are the most important thing ever. And so I, I said, you're not. He goes, okay, thanks. He starts to walk. He's like, get back over here. So I grabbed him by the arm. I said, get back, get back. I said, dude, we're not, we're not worthy. I'm not either. We're not worthy. But the cross is God's declaration that you're worth it. Students, hear me. If I could convey anything to you that might open the floodgates of what it is that God wants to do, I want you to hear this. You are worth it to Jesus. How do I know? Because he took a cross and he took the wrath of God so he could have you, that he could redeem you and bring you back. He's the author of life. He owns everything. He's the one that gives us every breath that we breathe. And he deemed you worth it. And that's why he took a cross. Life without him is worthless. Life with him, life with him is what it is that he has designed us to have and to experience. He's going to go, is it always comfortable? Oh, no. Oh, but it's always good in the end. Friends, if you don't see the good in it yet, it's because God's not done with it yet. If what you're experiencing, it doesn't seem good because he's not done yet, you hang in there. I promise you. But life without him doesn't make any sense. We give God a weekend. We give him a weekend. Let me pray this out. Jesus, thank you that you came. Thank you that you're the author of life. Thank you that you provide everything needed to live life. Jesus, I thank you that you give us purpose and meaning and value. And God, thank you. Thank you that you sent your son. Jesus, thank you that you took our cross and that you deemed us worth it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you prepare our hearts for what it is that you want to do. Do something that makes the book of Acts look tame. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love.